What's up, everybody? Happy New Year. Happy 2021. Um, this is Matt DeMarinas, joined by my buddy, Robbie Lula. Um, we're going to break down Creighton's <laughs> thrilling. We go thrilling. Is that too simplified? Sure. That, I mean, thrilling works. Creighton's uh, thrilling win over Providence with uh, that ended on a last-second dunk, a thunderous dunk by Christian Bishop. Um, lots to dissect from this one, coming off of a, what, about a first game in 10 days for the Jays, uh, facing a team that's playing their third home game in seven days but was a little bit uh, shorthanded with a in-game injury to one of their starters. So we'll get into all that. Uh, we'll tackle your questions. Um, as they roll in here, I kind of hit the – kind of sent that out a little late as we were starting to record. I forgot to ask for questions. So, whatever you guys can get in under the buzzer, we'll get it, we'll, we'll talk about it. Um, as always, appreciate you guys listening and chiming in when you can. Uh, Ravi, with that all being said, uh, you want to tee it off and let the fine folks know what your overall impressions were on today's win for the Jays. Yeah, I mean, it was it was good to see Marcus and Mitch getting going in the same game. That was nice. Um, but for me, the star of the game was Damian Jefferson, without any question. Um, that dude played incredible on both ends of the floor. And he's going to – I mean, I know we said this. I was watching the game virtually with you. Dude's going to mess around and get himself in the NBA, keep playing like this. Um he played incredible basketball. Probably, I would say, his best game as a Jay. Um, I know he's had, I think, some higher scoring outputs, but on between both ends of the floor, I, I've never been more impressed with with Damian Jefferson today uh, than I was today. So, um, just individually, those guys obviously stick out. Um, as a team, I think this one falls, even though they made more shots, I still think this falls under one of those kind of grind-out wins. For them, just in the sense that it was not played at a pace that they would prefer. And typically that's how Providence has been able to get the better of them is the fact that Providence thrives in these slow down, ugly, ugly basketball games. And Creighton seems just fine in those games this year. Maybe that's not their preferred style, but um, you know, like that Kansas game was pretty much a grinder and that's a one point loss. And then UConn, Xavier, and now Providence are all grinders as well. And Creighton's come on top in all three of those. So you have to, I guess, just give this team credit for being able to win games in ways. And I don't know we've said this before, but just win games in ways that Creighton teams of the past have not been able to win. Yeah, those are, I mean, Several good points in there. Um, maybe I'll start with the uh, the style of dub, if you will. Um, it is interesting to see. I, I, I bet most people, and myself included, probably didn't think Creighton would have to rely as consistently on their defense as they have been so far. Um and I don't know if that's to say that the offense is uh, not clicking to their liking or if, you know, they just have a lot of personnel that's kind of known. They have a lot of known commodities in their personnel groupings right now. 
to the yeah. point where uh, there's, you know, the scouting report says what it says, and if teams that have a lot of veterans do their job, they can usually take away most of Creighton's strengths on a game-to-game basis. Um, but the fact that Creighton has shown the ability to do that as well, uh, we've always known them to be a really, um, really good scouting report team. So the fact that they can prepare to do the same to you as you're doing to them is a probably um, the sign of their biggest maturity, uh, the biggest jump in their maturation level as a group. Um, but I also think it's like, it's kind of how this league is probably going to be decided. There's going to be a lot of, there might not be a whole lot of separation uh, when you look at like Creighton and Villanova feel like a top tier right now. And then there's kind of a grouping of, you know, UConn, uh, Seton Hall looks solid. Xavier looks solid. Providence looks solid. Marquette looks solid. Like there's kind of a grouping there, but all those teams are capable of knocking off the top tier. So, right. There's not, I, I wouldn't be surprised if like, you know, there's it like a big East title comes down to, um, a three or four team race like it did last year. It just feels like there's not a ton of separation. There's a lot of quality. Maybe it's not, it might not be looking like it's national champion. It's not, it's not like top heavy to national championship heavy right now. Like it might not be looking like that, but it's a, it's going to be a grind in this league. And I spe- especially in a season like this, where you're going to have stoppages and longer breaks in between games. So the fact that Creighton has come out of three of these things now, right. Is that what it is at? Xavier, so. Xavier, uh, Connecticut and um, Providence today. Yeah. So three of these kind of grinder type games that haven't been shootouts on the winning end, uh, as opposed to the only game where they had a shootout, they lost. Like it's kind of just, it is just <laughs> kind of like the funny little quirk of the season so far that's attached itself to the Jays that they've, they've won more grinders than you probably thought they would and lost more shootouts than they thought they would. So I don't know. It's, it's kind of an interesting little quirk so far, but um, to your point about DJ, like he was, he was crazy good today. It was unbelievable. Yeah. Like, like if you watched only today's game tape, you'd think he was first team all big East. Yeah. Like that's what he's playing like right now. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like maybe by the end of the year, he will be if he continues to play like this, because he's been incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, today was the best of those, but um, one thing, and I have to mention this, even though it was a win is the officiating was also absolutely atrocious. Oh, yeah, we're going to get into that. Yeah. yeah okay, yeah. I just it's... wanted to make sure we would hit that because it was too embarrassing not to talk about. No, it's going to get talked about because I'm uh, – at this point, I'm more than a little, like, perplexed at the way Marcus Zagorowski has been officiated. Um, and that's only a separate issue from today's game. The incons- inconsistency in what we saw today was separate right. to the way Marcus has been officiated, but it's part of a larger – issue in my in my view so yeah we'll get into that for sure um uh but more on like i guess more on dj though it's just you know i think we had kind of like a funny little comp for him that it isn't it isn't like translatable to the nba level we kind of called him um creighton's iggy right like yeah he's uh, the what what, what andre godella andre godala did for the championship teams that won titles for the Warriors. Like he's just that he's going to, he'll, he'll get stops for you defensively. 
he'll get tough boards. Um, he'll knock in threes when when you take away the top options. He'll make plays off the dribble that you know not no one else on the team can make from an athletic standpoint. Like yeah. he's just he's just he's not one of these dudes who has like a glaring weakness right now. He kind of just does a little all, everything pretty well, and it adds up. Like he is just filling. The statue well, on a nightly basis too, and it's really impressive. He's one of those guys that which he didn't even take a three today, right? Um, and he's been shooting him well this year, which is really the only weakness you could point to coming into this year for the most part was, or the biggest weakness at least was the fact that he had a hard time knocking out open three point jumpers sometimes. But what he reminds me of is is somebody that maybe Crane fans have a little more familiarity with is like sophomore year Kyrie. Okay. Where you're not drawing any plays up for DJ most likely, maybe one or two a game if he's just hit a shot and he's feeling good or whatever, Mm -hmm. but he's just constantly disrupting the other team and constantly making plays on the offensive end, just doing things that either offensive rebounds or, doing things within the flow of the offense where, hey, you know, Mark, Marcus Zagrowski drove, he kicked it to Damian Jefferson. Damian Jefferson gave a little pump flake, and the guy got off his feet enough that he's able to get to the rim and either, you know, get to the rim for a layup or knock down one of those little 15-footers that he's gotten pretty good at. Um, that's kind of what he reminds me of. He's just – his fingerprints are all over these games mm-hmm. without really anything – being designed for him yeah and that's like the big deal right because when you like you said it perfectly his fingerprints are all over the game in a variety of ways but he's not necessarily it's not necessarily structured for him to do that it's just kind of it's kind of like he's learned how to be the best player he can be within what Creighton is designed to do you know um, and it's like, it's like, because there's only so many guys that you can have that you have to draw stuff up for, mm-hmm. right? Like you have to draw stuff, stuff up for Marcus, whether you draw it up or not, your offense is designed to run. So Marcus does whatever he does, right? Mm-hmm. You have to draw stuff up for, uh, Mitch. You have to make sure that Denzel gets his touches, but it's super valuable to have guys that can score just within the flow of the offense without it being a thing about like, Oh, we haven't gotten DJ a touch in a little bit. We need to get him, you know, we need to get him the ball isolated on the wing or, you know, we haven't gotten Christian a post up in a little bit. We got to get him a look down low or something or anything like that. Those guys on a basketball team are so valuable because, you don't have to worry about getting them the ball. They just end up with the ball and do good things with it. It feels like it might be one of the pieces that's been missing um, for these Creighton teams of the past. Like um, maybe, maybe uh, the 13, 14 team wasn't missing it. Like he kind of feels like I kind of could see DJ playing a little bit of a, a Gibbs like role and that he kind of does a lot of things really well without having um, yeah, one that blows you away, but I think Gibbs needed the ball a little bit more frequently. Yeah, for sure, because his, his best because his best ability was playmaking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But 
yeah, it's a similar thing where Gibbs is just kind of like, hey, I'm filling in all the gaps of things that Doug and Ethan can't do. Mm-hmm. Like everything else I've got covered. Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of feels what DJ does. It's like, hey, whatever Marcus, Mitch, and Denzel can't do, I've got it. Yeah. I think DJ reminds me a little bit of like a Justin Carter type because he is playing, a, I guess he is playing a position. Um, in, I mean, just in Carter college, that's like, not necessarily like, traditional to his body type, I guess is the best way to put it. I mean, Justin Carter was like a straight up power forward in college. Yeah, but he was 6'5, six, 6'4. Six, yeah, he's like 6'4, six, 6'5. Six, so yeah. he's little. Um, although for a, a Valley team, it wasn't as big of a. I guess, I mean, I don't know. I mean, he, grabbed, he, grabbed, he grabbed 12 boards against Kentucky, though. So, like, he had to, he had to be a big dude. That Listen, dude. there's a reason he's been playing in Europe for, what, like 12 years now? Yes, for sure. Um, but, well, I mean, what, what position would you say that that DJ plays? I mean, is he – I guess I would call him the three, I guess. Well, in Creighton's offense, he's the four. So like, but he, he can play the three. So is Denzel. But but it, but, he, but I but I think he's also skilled enough to like be a two guard for like everybody. You know what I mean? Like yeah, like he's every, like everybody his in the position is a yeah. two. Yeah, like I mean, Jermaine Samuels I think plays some two for Villanova, right? Doesn't he? Like DJ could do that. He could play the yeah. two for Villanova. Uh, certainly Seton Hall. Like there's. Xavier, like name it. I mean, he he's basically he can go get buckets for everybody else. Yeah. For, for Creighton, he just has to go, you know, and kind get, of pick a spot. Get, and... get a bucket here, get a rebound there, get a stop there, jump a pass yeah. lane here, block a shot there. Like he just does everything. Make a play, get get into the paint, draw some defenders, kick it out, find the open shooter, have some spatial awareness, like which is it's, just, I, it's I mean it's, the whole game is coming together for him. Yeah. And you see it and that's when it happens. Like you can see consistency is I feel like is always the last thing for like elite players because yeah. they show you flashes, but then the floors still show up, right? So like there's a high ceiling, low floor type of situation going on. When elite players get to a point where they're showing you the ceiling while also raising the floor to the point where yeah. the bad games the duds are fewer and far between. That's when you kind of like take off as a, you know, you get really comfortable in your role and take off in terms of your impact on the team. And I think that's what you see with DJ so far, because he looks like, you know, it could be, there's lots of players who can kind of fit this mold based on how you want to break it down. But he feels like he's been the MVP of the team so far, just with everything he's able to contribute. Oh, I would, I would agree. I think he's been, again, MVP is, is important there because he's been the most valuable. Yes. His stats probably aren't going to stand out the most um, at the end of the year. His um, his contributions aren't going to show up in the box score that other guys will. But um, his value to the team is off the charts. Mm-hmm. Like they're a much, much worse basketball team if Damian Jefferson is not there. Right. I think it's kind of funny because you could label different things. Like I think – I don't know if I would say he's the most important. I don't know if I would say he's like the most talented. I don't know if I would say he's the best, but 
he's definitely the most valuable in my opinion. Like, yeah, I mean, most important is probably still Zagorowski. Yeah, right, because you can't – like the drop-off without him is um, dramatic, Yeah, as much right? as I like Reef, that's a yeah. huge drop-off. Right. Um, most talented is like camp- maybe, you know, Denzel, Christian, or Marcus, one of those three, right? Like, I mean, I honestly – one of those three or like maybe Kalkbrenner. Mm. Like just from pure talent, Kalkbrenner yep. probably in that conversation. Obviously sure. he's not developed to the way that those other three guys are yet. But if if he's at Creighton as a junior, would it shock you if he's dropping like 18, 10, and four? No. Yeah, for real. Like not at all. You know, yeah. right? He he very well could be you know, first team all biggie center by the time he's a junior. And and you know by the time he gets to that point too, he's gonna be stepping out hitting threes too. Because that's hundred percent. Yeah. That's what Creighton does to people. So that's what we're doing here. You yeah, know? that's that's what Creighton will will recruit, will develop three point shooters, what no matter how big or small they are. So yeah, that's that's what we do. I mean, Damian Jefferson was like a nine percent three point shooter at New Mexico State or whatever for New <laughs> Mexico. And you know, now he's like, hey, I'm just going to mess around and hit 40% this year. No big deal. <laughs> no big deal. Don't worry, it. Don't worry I got it. Um, yeah, it's like that's the kind of thing. And it's it's funny because, like, it's not – it's not to knock DJ's skills because he's got a lot of them. It's just like you feel like if you're – if you're going to get a 30-piece, you know where you're going. If you're going to get, uh, you know, 10 or 12 dimes, you know where you're going. You know if you're going to get um, – you know, just a bunch of bombs in a row to like fire up a run, you know, where you're going. Um, but DJ, it feels like if you just need anything, he'll give it to you. It doesn't even, it just, that's like what, he, that's how unpredictable he is. Like he can score one play, he can fly in for an offensive rebound on another play, uh, he can jump a passing lane on a different yeah, play. Yeah, I mean, we saw it against UConn, right? Where he's the guy that scores, like they draw that mm-hmm. up for him to score the game winning or the game tying bucket to send it to overtime. Yeah. Like, he's got that skill set where, like, he's maybe as good – I don't know, push back on me if I'm wrong here, but is he as good in the two-point range as anybody on the team in terms I, of two-point field goals? I'd be surprised if he's not, wouldn't you? Like, I mean, outside of bigs. Yeah, I mean, I'd, right? be, I'd be surprised if he wasn't. I mean, because Marcus has struggled from twos this year, and – Mitch, I think he's more Mitch, Mitch doesn't shoot him. Christian's only at the rim. Ryan's only at the rim. And Denzel is, I think, doesn't have as many options. Like Denzel can kind of bully his way to the to the in two point range and, and get some shots off. Yeah. But I think Damian Jefferson. I mean, we saw a couple like Jordan esque fadeaways mm-hmm. from this day. We that's seen the thing. The elevate the elevation is like his kicker really I mean, yeah he can, we, he can elevate on that jumper like nobody else can so. which denzel can't really do um yeah. denzel kind of has to use his body to get space and uh you know and he still finishes around the rim with pretty high efficiency so like his his two-point skill set is is in my opinion the best on the team mm. so you've got that skill set in terms of scoring ability and then you know he gets six steals today yeah. And his defensive uh, vision and kind of awareness just keeps getting better and better. And then he starts dropping off dimes to people in either those zone situations or um, kind of in fast break situations where 
we hadn't really seen that part of his game much before. And it seems like that's starting to click for him too. So there's just not a lot of blind spots in his game, if you will. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, Mitch, uh, <laughs> Mitch was kind of Mitch today. I mean, Mitch in the, Mitch in the special way, right? Like he. Yeah. in the first half, got, especially he got heated up from not just like three point range from like four point range. <laughs> um, <laughs> he got heated well, yeah, up. From, he, he got heated up from like off half, off right? camera, off camera range, basically. Is like where he's yeah, it's off camera, Mitch. Yeah, I call him behind the scenes, Mitch, because he's not behind, on camera. <laughs> behind the scenes, Mitch, because you're like you get um, you get a kick yeah, out. And like, who's that to? Like, yeah, you pass the ball out, and you're like, who are they throwing it to? And then the camera has to jerk suddenly, and you see Mitch letting go for you know a thirty footer. And then, yeah, I mean, I want it to that, be like one of those. What's, I'm trying to think of like a movie moment where it's like, okay, so here's a good one. Uh, spoiler alert for those who aren't caught up on the Avengers yet. Um, so Avengers, like, yeah, I, yeah, that's why we're saying it. But just in case, uh, Avengers: Infinity War, when Thor like throws the throws the axe from the Rainbow Bridge, remember? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Owns a bunch yeah, of like gargoyle looking things. Yeah, like so. Um, you don't know, you don't, you know, it's him. Okay. Because the ax, but you don't see him because he's in the bridge. Right. So like, it's kind of like an off camera butt whooping that he's unleashed in there until, yeah. like, until the ax comes back and then the bridge goes away and you're like, Oh, it's Thor. Everybody freak out. Um, that's kind of like what I want that to happen with Mitch where he's off camera and like the kick out happens and then the camera is so late getting back to who it's being thrown to that they just catch the ball in mid-flight coming back towards the three-point. Coming back towards I the mean, like I, wanted to, I wanted to shoot it so fast that the camera can't recover to him. It just doesn't stop in mid-air and see the ball suddenly change trajectory and be on its way to the on the, the hoop again. That'd that be- almost happened on the one to uh, – on the wing mm-hmm. that uh, – who, who was it? Kalkbrenner kicked it out to him, I think. Yeah, either Cochran or a DJ. I forget which one. But yeah. Um, and he, I thought he threw it away. I was like, what are you doing, man? <laughs> and then I just see just a glimpse of Mitch before the shot goes up. And, you know, he drills it from – that was probably like 28. Yeah, that was, that was probably inside – just inside 30. It, yeah, it was probably just shy of 30, although it was really far on the side, so it was probably getting close. Yeah, it's like one of those, like, side side advertisement logos, basically. Yeah, and then he hits the one from the center court logo. Yep. That, that was, was – He basically pulled up in transition for that one. Yep, which those are my favorite. I love those. <laughs> and then he had the one right before halftime that had to be legit 40. I mean, that has to be. He was – Cause he was almost a half court and he was off to the side. Yeah. So it had to be 40 because half court straight away is 45. No, I totally agree. Like he was, that had to be 40 feet. <laughs> that one was funny too. Cause he just flicks it and he's yeah. But it's also like, there's, there's what a one point something left on the yeah, clock. 1.6 left. Okay. When they inbounded. So, so Mitch is like kind of running around the three point line. He, he kind of sets a little, uh, screen and then he comes off of it and then he's kind of like yeah, standing, he like a he's standing around like yeah he's like at 27 feet and AJ Reeves is kind of still respecting him there like kind of still right there on the catch 
And then he pops out to like 40. Yeah, then he steps out past like the volleyball line a little bit. And Reeves only takes one more step. Yeah, he's like, that's fine. He can go out there. Like, no. Like, show the man some respect. Like, why would you let him catch at all? Like, I don't understand why you're not in total ball denial mode. Because the only one who's throwing it in at 1.6 is either at the rim or Mitch is going to catch with three. Yeah, it up. Yeah. And you just let him do it. He's like, and then if of course you saw, made it. If if you saw Matt's Matt's tweet of that play, that's what I'm yelling profanities about in the background. <laughs> just asking what AJ Reeves is doing in that situation, as if he hasn't just seen Mitch knock down two thirty footers in the last few minutes. Like what what's going through your head there? That like oh no, he's probably not. He's probably good. That's too far. But, if I give this guy a clean look from anywhere inside half court, it's probably fine. Like, what are we doing here, AJ Reeves? <laughs> and I think it's funny because I don't know if there's many moments where where you can be mad at your team for giving up a 30, a 35-footer or beyond, right? But I can remember last year, I think it was North Florida – Maybe it was Cal Poly, where Mitch just tuned, teed up a deep one, <laughs> and like the 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 like the coverage was late. It was he was I think he was trailing, and he caught it at thirty, set the feet and buried it. And like you, if you watch the coach in the background, the head coach, he's like losing his mind that that his team allowed Mitch to shoot <laughs> that ball from from the logo, basically, and then like. Today, when when uh, Mitch hit the buzzer beater before halftime, like Ed Cooley, like stands there, like kind of in shock for a minute. <laughs> he doesn't make any kind of demonstrative movement, and then he kind of just focuses in on AJ Reeves after about <laughs> five seconds. And he's just like, you know, just like some "What are you doing? What the what were you thinking?" type of movement. And it's like, yeah, what were you thinking? Because it's uh. I love I love the head coaches getting mad at their players for allowing Mitch to tee it up from like thirty five to forty feet. It's like, only wow. thing I can compare it to is the uh, the panic on the Oklahoma City Thunder faces when Andre Roberson <laughs> takes one backpedal step too far. One step. Just, him. He yeah, was, he wasn't even. He was way closer than Reeves. To be clear, yeah, yeah. like he was backpedaling because he thought Steph was going to take one more dribble mm-hmm. and instead he buries like a 38 footer for game <laughs> and that's the only thing I compare it to is just like the outrage because they're you're it's right in front of Oklahoma City's bench so you can see yeah. everybody yelling at him to get up on the shooter mm-hmm. that's the only other situation where I've seen people like visibly angry that someone was not being guarded close enough on a 35 footer I actually have another Oklahoma City moment. It was when Dame gamed PG. Yeah, but PG uh, was right on him. PG was on him, but PG was not thinking he was pulling. PG he thought he was. PG thought he was setting him up to go by him. Yes, and I don't, and PG lost the clock because he was like, he's just setting me up. He's like, he's like slowing me up here so he can blow by me and get like a mid range three off or a, or a top of like a hundred. Percent lost the clock, yeah, but he was still close when, enough. Because when Dame let that go, he fully extended and wasn't even didn't even bother. No, but he was still close enough to like give the appearance of a contest. 
that's fair, but it wasn't, it still was like laughable. Whereas like AJ Reeves made that last lunge after Mitch shot it and he was still five feet away from him. <laughs> right. That's what I, that's why I just love, I, I think that's, we've talked about this before, but the NBA needs to scrap the dunk contest because we've seen it all at that point. Like there is not, yeah. there's not a dunk in human history we haven't seen yet. Like until those start coming back, and we start getting like wowed by something we've never seen before in the dunk contest. Yeah, until somebody can do it's like a seven twenty or something. Yeah, it's time to bring in pull up threes. Like it's just let the yeah. greatest shooters in the world pull from every every like angle in the arena. Like I, it was funny because we talked about it uh, before the season started, and then Steph buried one from the concourse. Remember that? Yeah. Like a week and a half into the season. He, like, came out from the concourse and, like, cashed one. I'm like, that's what the All-Star Weekend needs to have. Just have Steph Curry and Dane Willard just, like, hiding in corners of the arena. And, like, Trey Young. Them, yeah, Trey Young. Have them just pull 70-footers and just, like, cash them. So here's what I think. Here's the format that I've, I've thought about, right? So you start at the three-point line, okay? Pull up three-pointer. And I think you get three attempts to match but your matching shot has to be behind the last person's previous shot. Okay. I like it. You're basically just going in order like horse. So let's say it's Steph, Dame, and Trey. Mm -hmm. So Steph pulls up from 28, nails it. Okay. Trey gets three shots to match it, but you like put a marker down. It has to be behind that marker. Okay. Yeah. So you keep it further it. and further and further back. I love it. Until somebody misses all three or until two people miss all three and you have one champion standing. Yeah, absolutely. And they can go in the crowd. They can like, go anywhere. It doesn't like, have to be it's, on it's, court. Yeah. It's like horse rules. Basically you set the mark and if you yes. catch it, that's but the wherever mark. the mark is from. Yeah. The following shot has to not, has to not be on it. It has to be behind it. Right. So like it would be horse rules. So elimination is like, you just go, um yeah you, so i think you, you go to three e, attempts yeah per letter right no i think so that's, like, i think it's a bomb idea we need to get that going. right who wouldn't watch that shit it'd be incredible i i, I want to watch it right now i'm mad that they don't have that event going. i'm mad that it doesn't exist I'm upset, on I'm upset that i can't find that event on youtube right now just to satisfy my mind stupid seton hall butler game yeah um but it's just like <laughs> I don't know how we got off that, but like it's just missed logo bombs, basically. Yeah, um, we were I just love, talking about I how it pulls up from like forty, and people <laughs> get mad that he wasn't guarded. <laughs> he wasn't guarded at forty. I just love it. Um, so yeah, we need to replace the dunk contest with like logo bombs, basically. Yes, one hundred percent agree. A logo bomb contest between the greatest shooters in the world because it's kind of where we're at in the game right now. That's what that's what's entertaining. Because honestly. Like what's what's cooler? I'm a big I'm a big MJ Mark, right? Like you know this, hundred percent. But what's cooler? Like him, him like going from the free throw line, one handed, like flying through the air, or Steph game in Oklahoma City from like forty feet away, you know, like pulling up from forty with plenty of time on the clock. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he didn't, he didn't have to pull he from had there. time for two more dribbles. Yeah, he had time to get like somewhere else closer. He had time to get like in the same camera shot as the actual three point. <laughs> right, right. And he was like, he basically crossed half court and he goes, "I'm good." Like, because yeah, because the rest of it was just momentum to the spot. Once he crossed yes. half court, he started slowing into his gather. Basically, is what happened. 
So he had it in his mind, kind of predetermined that he was launching a big one. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, it's one of those things where, and this is going to sound, this is going to sound weird, and I'm not comparing myself to Mitch or Steph or anyone <laughs> like this, but the one thing I could do on a basketball court was shoot really well. That's what I did. And there's a time when you're like in a zone where you really have no awareness where you are behind the three point. Line. Yeah. I love that. You're just like, this is a good look. That's all that goes through your mind <laughs> is you're like, I'm clean. Right. And so I don't even know that Steph was like, Hey, I want to launch this from 40 and shame Andre Roberson and his family. I think it was just like, I think it was just like, as soon as he felt clean, he put it up. Is Andre Robertson you know? still in the league? He, that, it, that ended pretty quick after that, right? <laughs> I think he hung around for a couple of years after that, but I don't think he got another contract. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that was basically, he, he decided at that point that he was going to play that out and then go to something else. Well, basically what happened was like his skill set was tough for this league anyway, because he can't shoot. Mm-hmm. And then the where I was like, well, if he can't even contest Steph from 40, like, <laughs> yeah, he was, a defensive, he was a defensive stopper. But if it, if he's going to get bombed on anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he yeah, it's one of those things where and, and I think I've heard Mitch say this before is he doesn't really pay attention where he's at on the court. He's just like, if I get a clean look and it feels clean, like I let it go. I don't care where I am. Yeah. His feet are set, he said. Yeah, if his feet are set. and like, if it looks feet, like Yeah, if his feet feel right. He doesn't really care where he's at. Exactly. And that's, again, from the very highest of heights to shooters of Steph Curry and Mitch Ballack to like the very lowest of low of shooters to me. If you have ever been in a shooting zone, you know exactly what that feels like. Yeah, right. It's like it's kind of in, like in baseball when you get it on the sweet spot, you don't really feel it. You just, yeah, 100%. Know, you just know you got it and you're like, OK, that's gone. Like that's how you know when to bat flip or not. It's based yes. on based on the feel off the off your wrists or whatever. Yes. Like that's yeah. So when basketball players are like locked in and the ball hits the shooting pocket, it doesn't really matter where they're at. They're just like, like I okay, had I a, can, I can catch this. I had a, I was playing it was my junior year at Nebraska Christian college, RIP. May she rest in peace. Um, when we were playing against the like Nebraska, Nebraska Christian college is done. They got, they're yeah, they closed last year. permanently. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. I knew grace went under, but yeah, a couple years right behind him. We've, <laughs> It was a tough time for small small schools, but okay. Um, yeah, we were playing like Nebraska College of Technology or something, and it's way out in western Nebraska. And I did like three in a row, and I was it was pretty late in the game. It was a close game. I was coming, I was sprinting from the baseline all the way up to the top of the key, and somebody set a pick for me right about the three point line or screen, and I came off the screen and I caught it probably like seven eight feet behind the three point line. And it's early in the shot clock and it's a pretty close game with like two or three minutes left. So I probably should not have shot this basketball, (laughs) but I caught it. I had hit a couple in a row already. And like, I was like, Oh, I'm clean. And so it just went up. Right. And luckily I cashed it, but it was one of those where like time space distance from the hoop shot clock, like it all goes away. Like if you're in any sort of zone, and I can only imagine it's tenfold for people that are actually good at basketball, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. like 
the Mitch Ballacks and Steph Curry's of the world that are like, like we'll get paid for this, you know, obviously Steph already does, but somebody's going to pay Mitch Ballack to shoot a basketball for a while. Yeah. And like for those people, I can't even imagine, like if I even experienced that level of it, I can't imagine what goes through their head. Like if I was Steph and I caught it on the other side of half, half court, I'd be like, this kind of feels like a good look. I don't know. <laughs> it's going to get to that point. Like, I mean, even Steph and Dame were talking this offseason about like pulling from mid court on opening night. They're just like, let's just do it. Right. Like, yeah. I mean, well, especially like, listen, do you know, they, practice, they do. Practice they practice. Yes. Enough. Right. And they're not heaves, like they're regular jumpers. Yeah. And sometimes that might be the best look he's going to get. <laughs> you know, like the way people guard Steph sometimes is like, Dude, well, that's the best look he's getting. It is so funny. I swear, I, I, I still haven't gotten used to it to the point where I don't laugh because I can remember watching back uh, last year's playoffs with the Lakers and the Trailblazers. And like, you've got Anthony Davis. <laughs> You have Anthony Davis, who probably in, like, another era could average, like, six block shots a game. Mm-hmm. But he's out here, like, switching ball screens at 35 feet because you know Dame is going to pull if he has, like, a second of space. 100%. So you got it's Anthony supposed- Davis, like, literally out. Like, he can't even – he doesn't even know where the hoop's at right now. <laughs> like, he just he, – he's probably closer to his own basket than Portland's. And yeah, like, if it goes under a screen at 35 feet, Dame's pulling it. And Dame did pull one in his eye from the logo, like because they sagged off a little bit. He's like, okay, well, cash. And that's how they like they I pretty sure they clinched game one with that nonsense. So like it was just it's just funny watching so much of like the crowded action of that like first those dribble handoffs happen at like just where the three-point line isn't even part of the deal. Like <laughs> It's not even in the equation. Like, no one's crossing it. No one's going inside of it. It doesn't even matter anymore. It's just like a, it's just like a line on the court now. It really is. Because, I mean, like, really that's, the majority of the threes aren't even, like, how many do you think – how many of the majority of Creighton's threes do you think are toeing the line versus – I mean, that one-two by Mitch. <laughs> yeah, right. He caught one, and it's like – they called it a two. I'm like, wait a minute. Mitch is you know the guy who always – because he had just stepped out of bounds on the cor- in the corner, yeah, in a in the in a different corner, and so he when he caught this one, I think he was just making sure he wasn't out of bounds, and he happened still, to be a little too close. I still think it was a three, but he was just so close that they were like, "No, that's not where he shoots." You're like for Mitch, that's only two, like that. Yeah. You don't. Yeah, that's what I mean. They gave him a two because Mitch shot that one. Yeah. If anybody no, no, else? Anybody else? And that's two hands up. Like, if it's inside of twenty five, it's a two for Mitch. He's got his own <laughs> personal three point line. I love it because it's so true. <laughs> you know that's what they did. He was like towing the line. They're like, that's a two. Just just <laughs> like benefit of the doubt, they put up two because they're like, whatever, we'll check it later if we have to. But he's never that close, so it's not three. That's funny. Um but yeah, I our, we should probably get back to talking about the actual game now. Yeah, um, well, I was gonna jump into Marcus and that was gonna kind of lead us into the yeah, let's, let's do it, Marcus. Go ahead. Um, well, I mean, it looks like the break did him well, right? <laughs> yes. Gave, I think he hit, what, his first two or three threes, maybe? And two of them were really early. So he got yes. going and uh, continued to stay on. 
what did he end up like four or seven from three? Uh, six for 11, actually. So he has his second now. <laughs> this is why I love the law of averages, man. Because everybody's oh, like, yeah. oh, man, Sorry. Marcus is like struggling to shoot the three ball. He went six for 11 today. He was six for seven at St. John's. So people just parse that up like throughout a full season. It's like he's still bombing on people. <laughs> yeah, the problem is we aren't used to seeing the like one for sevens or whatever that are in there also. Mm-hmm. Like I get that it evens out. But it feels like in previous years, and maybe I'm just not remembering them. Yeah, you're not remembering them. It feels like in previous years, we didn't have the one for sevens. We would have like a two for five and then a five for seven, you know? Mm. No, you're but, definitely you're definitely remembering wrong because he was, he was like – he had some games where he – especially against Providence on the road, he would go shoot like a one for seven. Let me see what no, he's doing. Providence on Let the road, he's play well. And then he's got to be pretty close to 40 now. Yeah, so Marcus is at 38.7 so far. He's 20. And, so, and Mitch, Mitch is at, is at 39.4. So, like, yeah. they brought those averages up, like, four percentage points today. Uh, yeah, they're – so what? They're, like, two percentage points under their season – their career average now? Uh, Mitch is right about at it. Uh, Marcus is, like – four points under I think I think he's a 42 percent three-point shooter is he 42 I thought he was 41 but yeah, yeah um, so. regardless like they're basically within the realm of what's normal for them yeah and then DJ shooting 42.3 to lead the team which we already what talked about like struggled last year shooting the ball mm-hmm. but the beginning of his sophomore year he actually shot the ball really well he didn't end up very good yeah. But the first, I think during non-conference, he shot around 40% his sophomore year. His, I mean, he's shooting 60% from the floor. So let's see what he is on twos. We'll do this real quick. He's, I mean, he's got to be like 70% on twos then. He's 36 of 52 on twos. So what is that? Good. Yes, very. So that's 69, nice, 69% on two-pointers. What did I say, 70? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so he's 69% on twos, he's 42% on threes, and for some reason he's 47% on the free throw line. Um, but then he's averaging like he's averaging about six boards. He has 19 turnovers to 15 steals, so he's taking it away about as much as he gives it away. <laughs> like he's just been crazy good. But on Marcus, yeah. though, I mean 20 yeah. points, seven of 15 or seven of 13, six six of those were threes. Uh, you know, seven boards, four assists. Two turnovers, 37 minutes coming off the Christmas break. Um, obviously made the – hit some big shots when they needed them, but also made the huge play at the end to find Christian, you know, trailing down for the for the dunk at the buzzer, basically. I was shocked that Marcus gave that ball up. Interesting. I wasn't. I, I guess I was shocked that he gave it up to Christian in that spot. Okay. Like, if that had been – Mitch or Denzel trailing for a pull-up doesn't surprise me at all. Um, but because of where, and I get that he didn't end up having to dribble, but because of where Christian caught that, which was, you know, just inside the three-point line, typically, and I know Christian's gotten better about going to the hoop and that type of thing, but typically that's probably not a spot that you are in love with Christian getting the ball. Mm-hmm. 
I don't know. A lot I, felt, of I felt like it was a really good read. Oh, I thought it was a phenomenal read. Because I actually, because I actually go back to the, I actually go back to the Providence game from last year. Like, I don't. He hit a game-winning shot, and I think people would assume that he had that preconceived idea that he was going to go down there, pull up, and bury that thing. But it's all it's all a read. Like he's he he was trying to get the ball to Tyshawn, and he just read Tyshawn, he just, right? he, yeah he just read the way that the Wayne Pipkins was guarding him. Yeah, he gave him yeah. a little bit of space, so he's like, all right, well, I'm just going to come off this uh, butt screen by Mitch and pull because. It was I one of those things too. where it was like, hey, they went under this, and so I've got more space. This is a better look than we're probably going to get from the yeah. design set. But if you slow down um, this, and if you slow down this last play of the day, like David Duke took away his right hand, forced him left, so he's coming yeah. left. Which he and he's really good shooting going to his left, like pulling up and from. He's really good at going to his left and pulling up and shooting. So it's not like necessarily game over in terms of finding his own shot there, but he. Um, he, he had a really good defender on him, a longer, bigger defender. And the guy, had, the, you know, Duke forced him to his left. And Watson was kind of like crowding him too. So he – it was just a really savvy play because he kind of like – you could see the game slow down in his mind right there because he yeah. he goes left. He, set, he brings Duke to him. He brings he Watson to him. Kind of pivots because he's like – he understands how many people he's drawn to him. Yes. And I think he understands where everyone is on the floor. And he's like, somebody's got to be trailing right now, coming hard. Yeah. And that little just like, that little just, you know, up and under step through gave him, you know, put him under enough control to make the pass, but also still Providence was like, focused on him because they were thinking it also okay it here, also comes, here comes like a little runner basically you know what i mean like yes yeah. it wasted enough of providence's time because if he passes it to bishop too early they recover yeah and that's basically right? so yeah you're not gonna enough shot. it wasted enough time that providence stayed committed to him longer mm-hmm. so that by the time bishop does get the ball it's almost a free now he did hammer on somebody but yeah, AJ Reeves, AJ Reeves, AJ Reeves again. AJ yeah. Reeves got AJ Reeves got buzzer beater twice today. <laughs> <laughs> he got he got he got switched on by Mitch and yammed on by Christian. He had a rough um, he had a rough end of that. He did not great. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but the uh, yeah, if he if he gets the ball any earlier, help gets there in time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas as it was, he had mostly a free run to the basket until Reeves got yammed on. Right. And honestly, Reeves made like a business decision. I don't know what he was thinking, but he decided to make a business decision on the game-winning dunk. Like, <laughs> you, need, you, need, you need to like give that up or like give that up. Like if you're going to get yammed on, you need to be in the poster. Also, it's, it's Christian Bishop. As much as I love the guy, like make him make the free throws. Yeah, for sure. Right. You got to like, you got to foul that dude. Like, Make you can't let him run. You can't let him run and get a two-handed dunk on you at the, at the yeah. buzzer. Like, right? That's kind of the thing. Like, AJ Reeves is going to have like a situational awareness nightmare tonight because <laughs> <laughs> with 1.6 seconds left in the first half, he lets Mitch get a clean catch and release, and then yes. with like whatever, I don't know when when Christian touched the ball, but I can't imagine it was it was probably 1.6 at the same time. Yeah. So yeah. 
and he lets Christian get a free run and rise to the rim. It's like, are you, are you, do you know what you're doing out there? Like, you gotta have some through. You gotta, obviously, you gotta go for the ball, but hammer him if you have to. Make him make the free throws. Yeah. It's tight. Like, you gotta, you gotta make him beat you the tough way. Yeah. Yeah. And again, <laughs> it's like you'll take your chances on a Christian Bishop free throw trip than you will more on a dunk. For sure. Like, yeah. that's, that's not. Like, what's the, what's the worst that happens in that scenario? Like, you get a flagrant two. And like what? It's two shots in the ball, but there's point eight left. Who cares? Like, yeah, you're not you're not giving. Point, it. It's not like not, they have a possession, extra possession. It's like an extra shot. It's, yeah, you're not losing much there at all. Yeah, you still got to. Yeah, I. It's, the upside is way higher to just hammer him and hope they don't call a flagrant. And DJ kind of brought him to the rim too because he cut there, thinking Marcus was in trouble a little bit. Yes, because I don't and, think DJ saw Christian. I don't right. think DJ saw Christian. <laughs> yeah, so DJ cut to the rim. And he kind of backed off a little bit once he saw Christian coming, but AJ Reeves kind of backed off with him. Like, like, what are you doing? You got, you're the last line of defense there. Yeah. Did he, I mean, did he think Christian was going to dump it off? I don't know, but that was the easiest game winner in the basketball history because <laughs> it was an uncontested dunk. Like how many times? I, mean, I don't know that. Who, that's, who got, who got enough. beat that, who got beat that way the other one year? Didn't, uh, didn't um, Furman beat Villanova on a game winning dunk? I don't know. I was thinking of the Stephen F. Austin breakaway layup against Duke. Okay, that one's good, but that one wasn't really Duke's fault. They couldn't. They just were faster than that dude. Right, but I mean, it was like it was like turnover, and they're like, "Oh, breakaway!" It's like, okay, I better shoot yeah. a rocket up my ass, or I'm not touching that. Yeah, but it was an easier game winner because it was just yeah, un- it was that's uncontested. True. True. As long as you beat the clock, it was uncontested. Yeah. So Furman, I think Furman backdoored Villanova for a game winning dunk. Like, I think you're right. I don't remember. I I think you're right though. Okay, so yeah, um, yeah, AJ Reeves, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta put your body on the line there because that's just a weird way to lose the game when you're just like not even gonna contest. Also, that. super demoralizing. Yes, because you're still in the poster. Yeah, but you weren't in the, like but you weren't, but in yeah, highlighting, and you're not even like laying your body on the line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I put it caught a body too because you just that's you were there, so yeah. You can't make a business decision and not not be a fatality. Like you lost the game, you made a, you made a business decision and you lost. So you're, you become a fatality in that in that scenario. Yeah, you did, yeah, you got. If you're gonna make a business decision, you better not be in the frame. Right, right. Exactly. Like, no, I was staying true to DJ. I don't know what you. I don't know what you want me to do. Mm-hmm. This guy's been killing us. Yeah. So before we jump into questions here, the last one on, like, I guess my question for you on Marcus would be, um, pre. Christmas break, post Christmas break. How 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 valuable do you think the time off, uh, the reset was with the family, and um, kind of getting his uh, just mind off basketball for a little bit? What did it look like? It made a difference to you? Yeah, I do. I think so, and not just mentally, but like I mean, physically, the last couple of games before the break, I didn't think he looked like he felt that good, um, and I don't know if that was you know, Hey, my surgery repaired knee is a little sore. I don't know what it was. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Like the grind. Basically. It felt. Yeah. I mean, you're playing six games in 16 days. Like that's hard on anybody's body. If you're coming off of a knee surgery, that's the other thing I like. I like to remind people is just because they had an issue fixed does not mean there are no lingering effects from that issue. Correct. Like I had a shoulder surgery and I, to this day, almost, 
I'm 15 years out at this point, like still feel issues from that occasionally. Mm -hmm. And I am not, you know, a high level college athlete. Like I'll find it just working out or whatever. So to think that, okay, six months or nine months ago, this guy had a knee surgery and then he plays six basketball games at a high level in 16 days. Like maybe that doesn't feel awesome, you know? And so I didn't think he looked like he felt great before the break. Um, and I thought he felt, I thought he looked much better just the way he was moving. I thought he looked way better today. Um, I'm sure mentally it helped as much as anything uh, just from the side, the sense of it's been a super challenging way to, to go through a college basketball season uh, with the things they've had to do. And I get it's just sports, so it's not the end of the world, but it's a very dramatic, different way of life they've had to live try since the fall trying to make a basketball season happen mm -hmm. so um i think the mental certainly helped everyone uh but i think physically it was just as helpful for marcus just to get some rest and be able to rejuvenate a little bit yeah uh before i finish about marcus i don't know why bryce enzi was an all big east selection but anyway um <laughs> i'm still perplexed by that one uh, with like with with Marcus though, the thing that like looks like it's he looked really good today. Obviously, you know, in terms of his play, but you can I think he's got a little bit of his swagger back too because if you just I mean yeah. if you just watch the the post game scrum, basically you can tell he was he's feeling good. Like that that break did him a lot of good, and he feels pretty rejuvenated for this you know the second. I guess we'll call it the second half of the season. I mean, not really, but you know what this yeah, next this like, next stretch run that they're about to go through. Yeah, the next third of the season, I guess. Yeah, that's a better way to do it. There you go. Math is good. Um, but yeah, it's one of those things where, like, if you don't feel good physically, it's hard to carry yourself with the same confidence, right? Because mm -hmm. like you know you're not right. Yeah. And again, this is me me, me making an assumption just on the fact that injuries don't heal magically like there's there's effects of them like long-term effects of especially surgeries if you have a surgery like a lot of people feel that forever and it's not like severe or debilitating most of the time but when you ask something demanding of your body like it's gonna be more of an issue than you know if you're you know, a, working a desk job and you have to get a knee surgery because you slipped on the ice, like that's a little bit different than trying to play six high-level college basketball games over the course of a couple of weeks. So yep. I think people just don't appreciate the fact that, okay, yeah, he might be 100% in terms of like the doctors don't require anything else of him. Like structurally, it's fine. But anybody who's ever had a surgery on anything understands it's not just magic. Like nothing just bounces back and it's like, oh, this is as bad. this is better than it ever was. That's right. not how it works. Right. Right. Let's uh let's dive into questions before we wrap up here and anything we don't see we can touch on afterwards. Um <clears throat> where we start. Okay, this one came in during the game, but I figure it'll be a good conversation. Um, this is from Katie Hyder. He wants to know, I know it's discussed a lot, but how many games do we have to be 
in where it comes down to free throws before we inherently do something better, to be better. Plus, that's kind of tough because we don't know what they're not doing. I mean, I can tell you from the past, the past years where we'd be at practice, like they shoot, they, they don't, they don't like practice free throws, but the times where they shoot them, you would think they would translate to those situations. Like, so they'll, they'll go through, they have practice plans, right? So they go through, all right, for this five, 10, 15 minute stretch right here, we're going to focus on this. It's not, it's like, we're going to do this drill. We're going to do this scout. We're going to do five on five here. Um, get up and down. We're going to do end of game situations here. Um, so the times where they shoot free throws, when they do end game situations, they put two minutes on the clock and they kind of just play it out like a normal game. The coaches are the officials. Uh, they'll shoot free throws and all that. It starts out tied. Um, so they shoot clutch free throws that way. The other way is they'll run a drill that's like pretty taxing and and kind of gets their blood going a little bit. And then they'll basically go to the baseline and uh, shoot free throws. And um, if they miss, they run. If they, if someone makes one, the next, it's basically have to hit four free throws to stop to get to the next, to get your water break. So it's like, yeah, Mac, yeah. Mac will choose Marcus. We'll give him the ball. He'll stand by the free throw line and talk a bunch of trash to him, try to distract him. And if they miss, the team runs. Um, and then they go back to the line and start over again. Like it kind of goes out that way. So they practice shooting free throws fatigued and they practice shooting free throws at end of game. So that's two scenarios where they practice free throws. Essentially. The third one is after practice, every time they end practice with their post game, with their post practice huddle. And then they will basically Mac will have a number in his mind, like make 12 in a row before you go make 13 in a row before you go. So everybody kind of has to break off into groups um, with their partners or whatever, the rebounding partners, and they can't, you know, they basically can't hit the showers um, and go back to their dorms until they've hit whatever that number is at the end of practice. So that's after practice when they're dead tired and all that kind of stuff. So that's 10 in a row, 12 in a row, 13 in a row, 14 in a row, whatever it is. Like it's, it's in a row. You can't go 10 of 14 and, yeah. and go home. You have to hit 14 in a row. So that's what they do to practice them. So honestly, they just got to hit them in games. Like it's just, that's, it's not any, they can't simulate the situation to any better replicate what they face in games. So when it's just, when it's game time, when the lights are on, it's just, you got to get, you got to like toe the line and knock down all the shots you've been knocking down this whole time. Cause that's, they're prepared. You know what I mean? That's the best way I can answer it. They're prepared to hit those shots. Yeah. So the, just to add on here, you've been to more Creighton practices than I have, but I have been around college practices at basically every level mm -hmm. um, and including having run some like and played in some. Yeah. And, and I mean, I, I practiced a lot. I didn't play as much, but I practiced a lot, <laughs> um, but that's how every team practices free throws. Right. Like it's not like Creighton's missing something. You practice them in end of game scenarios. You practice them in a fatigued state and then you get reps in, right? Mm -hmm. Those are the three areas that you practice free throws. That's it's the same. It's the three types of areas you practice regular, like your regular jump shots, and game shots in as well. Yep. You get your 
reps. You get them while you're fatigued, and then you get them in game scenarios. That's how every team practices shooting in any form, whether it's free throws, three-point shooting, anything else. So Creighton isn't forgetting something or missing something or ignoring something. It's just, for whatever reason, it is not currently translating to games. Mm-hmm. There's no it's, – it's not like they're like, oh, they need to practice free throws more. I hear people say stupid stuff like, oh, just lock them in the gym. But no, that's – first <laughs> yeah, that, of all, that's, that's, NCAA violation. Yeah, Tim Miles tried uh, that. He got fired, so no. <laughs> second of all, like, that's not going to help. They're getting plenty of reps. Mm-hmm. It's just – for some reason, is not translating the games. Yeah. Like, that's all there is to it. Okay. Uh, next one from Adam Hester. Among those playing in the Big East era, which Creighton player would you least like to oppose in a cage fight? DJ and uh, – so Damian Jefferson and Marcus Foster have to be among the top choices. First of all, Adam, you don't get to tell us what to do, sir. So they don't have to be if we don't put them there. Yeah, I um, don't – I mean, I think Damian Jefferson for sure. Is he number one? He's number one of the Big East era. Like, I just, I, I think, think he's, he's got to be. Yeah, because. And I think he's, he, he's the most, he's the most that dude, dude to me. You know what I mean? Like. <laughs> and I think there's a significant drop off to number two. I think so, too. Well, who's your pick, though? Because I think mine might surprise. So, I've got two guys that. Yeah, I've got two guys that I think would be surprising, and they're my tie for number two. Okay, go ahead. Number one, I don't want to mess around with Grant Gibbs. Really? Okay. All right. He's bigger than you realize. Yep. Because he's 6'5 and, like, pretty well built. He's not a small guy. Right. And he's super feisty, and I I feel like like he'll do what he has to. I don't want to call him cheap, but he will do what he has to in order to make life miserable for, for you. Mm-hmm. So you may come out on top in that cage match, but you're going to hate yourself for it. <laughs> you're going to have a miserable experience in the process. Yeah, like no one is going to feel like a winner there. Yeah. And then my second guy, very similar, I think he's just one of the toughest guys that we've had at Creighton, is our guy Marcus Zagorowski. Mm. Like that dude has an attitude and a swagger. And again, these guys are – he's six foot three. I know he seems little on a basketball court. Yeah. But he is six three. That is not a small guy. Okay. And I feel like he is just one of those – he's like one of those relentless people. hmm And I know John Bishop has said this before, but if he wasn't a basketball player, he'd probably be like a middleweight boxer. Like, that dude yeah. just got an attitude that I am not trying to deal with. Okay. Like he's got that dog in him that a lot of Creighton players don't have. Yeah. Or haven't had, or people think they're like, oh, they're not tough. They don't have the mean streak or whatever. Like no one's ever said Zagorowski doesn't have the mean streak. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, those me, are a couple guys that I would not want to mess around with. For me, I'm like, I'm not going to give Marcus that because he's a McGregor fan and I don't want to. I just don't want to give him that respect yet. I want to <laughs> I'm gonna wait till he's done with his career, then I'll then then I'll like put him up there. Uh, uh, deal. Just in case he's listening to this, I just want to humble him a little bit. He's a, he's a <laughs> uh, so uh, Damian Jefferson is my number one. I, I like I said, I feel like he's that dude, right? He's he's about 100%. that. 
He's about that life. Physicality and the attitude, like no one, no part of that. Yeah, and I felt that. Like I've always felt that, but then like the Mamu, when the Mamu, he, the Mamu, the Mamu, Mamu last year, step to him, and DJ was like, me. "Let's see what you got, big boy." Yeah, it kind of scared me because DJ thought that was funny, and when guys like that, when guys find those situations funny, they've done bad things. Like. <laughs> Or if they're amused in situations like that, that means it's popped off before in their life and they're not worried about what the next phase is about them. Yeah, it's it means they've like, done something worse than what the present situation calls correct, for. <laughs> correct. Like they're he was fully prepared for the next step in what that was gonna yeah. be, and he was yep. laughing about it. So that makes yeah. me think you didn't want to be at that next step with him. Because if he's laughing now. He's probably still going to be smiling at best next. And that's still yes, a problem. And yeah, and that's a, pro- that's a problemsome area for you to be. If a guy is laughing yeah. while you get angry. That's just, I always felt like that. Growing up, if someone's laughing at your anger towards them, you're in trouble. You just don't realize it. Yet. Especially when you're like actively stepping to them. Yes, yes. If they're laughing at you in that situation, it's time to reevaluate. Yeah, you got to catch that in your mind and go, wait a minute, this person's laughing when they should be scared. How mad actually am I? Especially (laughs) if Mamu is 6'10". Yeah. So, like, this is a big man stepping at you, and DJ was laughing in his face. Laughing in his face. So, you're like, I I have a weight edge here. I have a length edge here. I have a size edge, like, entirely. There's no reason for the human being on the other end of this to be laughing. And yet he was. So that's like, that to me was like, okay, DJ's about that life. He's not to be messed with. Yes, 100%. My my second one would probably be Maurice Watson. I think like he's just, you know, just ruthless in several ways, mentally, physically. Like he's probably a guy I wouldn't want to mess with. Mainly because I think he could pop you two or three times. Before you got off one, like so. That's true. The quickness there is concerning. Yeah, the quickness is concerning, right? Because like, you kind of would probably underestimate him based on his size. Also, and and, and it's not necessarily a power that gets you; it's what you don't see coming, and he would have yeah. that. So like, yeah, yeah, I think he could. Honestly, he's five ten, so it's not. He's like a normal sized person. It's not. He's only right. small in basketball. Right. Right. Yeah. And the other one would be Denzel because he's like a silent assassin, but I think like. I think he's about that life too because he'll have moments where he looks at dudes kind of like you don't want this. You know what I mean? So also Denzel's just stacked like a, up. Yeah, like he could he could probably honestly of the three I've named, he could probably hurt you worse than the other two. I don't know. DJ I, DJ's pretty big. DJ DJ's like, pretty big, but DJ would like DJ the, the problem with DJ is he would just enjoy that the whole time. Which is demoralizing, but like Denzel could like probably hurt people worse because that's just the sheer power there is is devastating. I think you're underestimating the power of DJ's back. I'm I don't I'm not I'm just respecting Denzel's. I hear what you're I, saying. I feel like they're pretty close to equal in terms of power output. Okay. Uh, I feel like DJ, if he changed his diet a little bit, would be like outside linebacker in the NFL style. Like that's what he looks like to me. He's I think people don't understand how big he is. <laughs> For sure. For sure. So okay. So that's that one. That's I would back to that question. Um 
Uh, JB Davis wants to know what has been the biggest key to Creighton's defensive improvement this season. Ooh, that's kind of complicated. Like, it's not an easy thing to answer because it's first of all, it's familiarity. There's a lot of experience there, so they kind of know every look they're seeing. Basically, they've guarded every, they've guarded every type of player. They've guarded like you know stretch fours, uh, dominant low post bigs. Volume scorers. Versatile guards, volume scorers. Like, they've kind of guarded everybody at this point. So, well, the, the, the experience of just, like, recognizing what you're taking away is, is pretty valuable. So, there's another um, factor here that you pointed out, I think, in a tweet last after their last game, that it kind of looks like they're playing defense on a string now. Yeah. Like, when the ball moves, it seems like you pull a string and they all move with it. Right. Um. And that is a strictly like reps and familiarity concept most of the time. Correct. You have to be some sort of special defensive savants to just put some guys together and get that. Yeah. Um, but otherwise it's, it's otherwise it's like it's synced up because you guys have done together. Yes, because you've gotten so many reps together that you know, okay, when the ball swings here. I'm three passes away. This is where I have to be. This is my responsibility. Mm-hmm. And then it goes with reverse back up top. Now I'm here. I know where my help is. I know where my secondary help is. And I know what my help responsibility is. And to, that's just experience and reps. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. I also think that they're obviously with Kalkbrenner as a rim protector, that's different. And just the overall length and athleticism that they have on the wing is different than some of the teams of the past as well. For sure. Um, uh, Pete Berkland, father of former manager Andrew Berkland, uh, wants to know uh, if we can talk about the ways that Creighton can attack the zone by driving off the wings. Uh, past years have settled for threes. I mean, I don't know. If, I thought did a pretty good job of getting a guy into the middle. Yeah, that's kind of where I think it's been. Like, I don't know if it's – I don't know if there's – I think Reef drove a bad closeout one time, but that was on a ball reversal. So, the ball movement is still the important component. Yeah, so basically the only way you can – there's only two ways you can really drive a zone. Yeah. Number one is to get it off of a ball reversal – and you attack once if the defense hasn't hasn't made its for, full rotation yet. Mm-hmm. And number two is you get them to you break them. You get a guy into the middle so that the zone is compromised with the guy on the middle, and then he kicks it back out to a driver. Right now, that usually is going to happen more from the baseline drive uh, once somebody's in the middle than it is the wings because there's just the space doesn't work right. Yeah, it's tough to drive a zone from the wings, really, because they're just yeah. The, there's yeah, so many, but there's so many body. Like the zone is kind of like cornering you off at those spots. Like yeah, the idea from, from the wings, you're going into like two or three defenders. So the ideal places to drive a zone are the top. Yep. Or the base. Which you can also get off of a ball screen. People think you can't ball screen a zone. That's not true. Right. Exactly. You just bring up the guy that would be in the middle and have him ball screen from directly at the top of the zone. And then instead of rolling to the rim, he rolls to the middle as a pop spot. Mm -hmm. Um, And that allows you to drive a little bit, but driving from the wings 
you really can only do off of a ball reversal where the defense is late rotating. Agreed. So to me, that's not an ideal way to attack a zone. I do like driving against zones, yeah. but I think it has to come from the top and the and the baselines. Yeah, I think what they're better at is just – I mean, honestly, it's familiarity too. Like, And the zone kind of forces you to make shots, so you can be as good as you are at creating shots out of the zone, but if you don't hit shots, they're not going to get out of it. And that's kind of what you saw against Providence last year. I think there's a – I think I put a cut together last year of their shots they got against it. They were all pretty high quality. They just didn't go in, yeah. um, which is what Providence was living with. Providence, historically more so than most, has beaten Creighton by just saying, you know, we're going to bank on you having an off shooting night. And that's kind of – Yeah, they make it as difficult as possible. And yeah. they're like, hey, if you're going to shoot 45% from three, we lose. Yeah, but I mean, Creighton's also won seven of eleven against Providence now, so that's that proposition's been failing more often. Than yeah, it's as Creighton has gotten better. Yeah, in terms of their better players, the reason that works is because if you're Creighton and you only have one or two guys you really trust as shot makers, mm-hmm. then it's easy for one of those guys to have an off night. Yeah, right. But especially if his shots, that's the that's the thing that why some teams struggle shooting against the zone is because your shots aren't coming in the ways you're used to. Right. It's not necessarily the looks themselves. Like you might get an open look, but if it's not coming in a way that you've practiced a hundred million times, which it likely is not, then you're going to struggle to shoot at the same percentage you would as if you got the exact same shot against your man offense. Right. Yep. So that if you've only got one or two guys you trust as shot makers, it's a lot easier for one of those guys to have an off night against the zone. If you've got four or five guys that you trust as shot makers, the chances of everybody enough people having an off night that you lose goes way down, which is why at the beginning of their time against in the Big East against Providence, when they didn't have as much talent, you had a lot more trouble against what Providence was trying to get them to do. And now that you have a much more talented team, like a top 10 in the country talented team, Providence is not nearly as successful in, in defending them that way. Yep, agreed. I think you broke that down pretty thoroughly. Um, Darren Boudreaux wants to know, am I wrong in thinking Creighton's defense is actually better than last season, or is it still a work in progress? Uh, team defense was actually pretty good helping Tyshawn last season, but the team defense this season – Seems more team versus individual stepping up. Um, yeah, I mean, it's something worth diving into for sure. I think we've talked about a se- several aspects of it um, with, with Creighton just being more synced up defensively as a unit, and I think that's what's making it um, – making their likelihood that they can string stops together um, higher. But I think Denzel Mahoney's actually done a pretty good job as an individual defender on, you know, the, the other team's best player too so far. So there's there's yeah. there's a lot of components to it. Maybe Denzel isn't as high end good as Tyshawn, but and then the gap has been made up by the team. Um, but I think both elements still exist on Creighton's team right now. They both they have a guy who can check the one the the one A option, and then they also have the ability to stop. Um, the whole entire team and, and, and throw them out of sync so far. Um, I agree. I also think, and I mentioned this before, and I get that he doesn't play a ton, but having the rim protection of Kalkbrenner in there matters. 
yep. um, on the team defense. And then I think there were times last year, and not often, but I think there were times last year when the team defense relied overly on the fact that Tyshawn was going to shut somebody down. And I don't think they rely on, and I, I guess I don't think the help was as good last year. I think it was there, hmm. but I think the help is consistently there because as good as, as Denzel has been guarding guys one-on-one, I don't think there's just this expectation that he's going to do it. Yeah. Right. Like I think there's, I think they're more aware of Denzel's limitations. Like if a guy's hyper quick, he can get around Denzel. Or if Denzel misses a closeout a little bit, he can get around Denzel. And I think the def- the rest of the team defense is more aware of the fact that like, Hey, Denzel isn't going to lock a guy up the way Tyshawn is as good as he's been. And so the help defense has to, it's almost like when Tyshawn doesn't need help very often, the focus of the set of the help defenders isn't quite as sharp. And when you need help a little more often, it's like when you're playing the outfield in little league and the ball never gets hit to you, mm-hmm. maybe not paying the most attention in the world. Right. If you're the help defender on Tyshawn and he never needs your help, like maybe you're not locked into the same way that you would be when occasionally Denzel is going to need your help. So you have a little bit greater level of focus, if that makes any sense. Mm. Yeah, I, think, I actually think it's the opposite of the way Creighton defends, though. I mean, they scheme, they scheme for that that top offensive option. So, like, they make sure they funnel a lot of help to that primary defender, um, which I think elevates how good that primary guy is because sure. there's, a sure. lot of, there's a lot of attention to, towards, that, towards that side of the floor. Um, but I also think it's a thing of, again, with six of their top eight guys have played together for multiple years now. Yes. So – there's a very – the familiarity can't be overstated there. Yeah, no, no question about that. Um, John Bukowski wants to know, does, does Ballack's percentages – does Ballack's percentage go up incrementally the further away from the basket he gets? I think that's true, actually, right? To a certain degree, yeah. I mean, like, some of it is like small sample size. Yes. Because, like, you know – Because he doesn't take any twos. Yeah, and he doesn't shoot as many 40-footers as he does 25-footers. So like. Right, but yeah, I do think there is there is a, a range in which he's a better shooter from like 24 to 28 feet yeah. than he is from like 14 to 18. Yeah, actually, so I actually do think that might be true just because the percentage, the, the, percentage is, the percentage number is higher, but the sample size is smaller, which helps it. So like. Right. You know what I mean? If he misses, like if, if he misses his next, yeah, if he misses his next one, it might go down. Yeah, yeah. But today he probably saved. I mean, he might he might have carried the rest of his season with today. <laughs> so he might have secured. I don't, know, I don't know how many more he's going to shoot from the range of the one before half. Yeah, he might have secured himself a sixty percent shooting season from thirty feet after today. Um, I think this is our last one. Alex wants to know. This one would be a tough one to answer. I definitely have to rewatch before I chime in on this one, but if you know, you can. Um, am I alone in thinking subbing Sharif for Denzel is a masterstroke of creative brilliance, replacing an immovable heavyweight foe with a lightning-quick featherweight that persistently 
tosses jabs seem to keep Duke completely out of sorts. Because I, I thought Denzel did a good job of keeping him out of sorts, so I don't, I don't know. I have to go back and rewatch that. I, I don't know the numbers on Duke specifically. I will yeah. say I do think it can be effective to throw different types of defenders at guys. For sure. Right? So, like, if he's used to trying, he's like, okay, if I get a really quick first step on Denzel, I might be able to get some space, and then hopefully I can get something off before the help comes or I can find an open guy. That's one mindset. And then if you switch that up with, okay, I'm probably not getting around Sharif uh, on a first step, and he's going to be in my jersey the entire time playing a type of, like, on-ball defense that really nobody else on the team plays in terms of just, like, being inside your jersey. It's just a different, like, having to – making a guy adjust how he attacks based on the defender that you throw at him, I think, in general, is a helpful idea. I don't know specifically for this game, um, but I agree with the idea in principle. For sure. I also think today was, like – a little bit of a curveball and having Sharif maybe guard Duke as much as he did because um, Duke slid to the one after Bynum went out for the game. So, I mean, Bynum, yeah. played, Bynum played nine minutes. Yeah, uh, Duke, Duke played Duke, a tough Duke, one. Duke, Duke played all 40. So, he played a lot of minutes at the one. Yeah. Or he wouldn't usually do that. So, that kind of – that probably forced Creighton's hand a little bit in terms of having Sharif check him. Um, Correct, yeah. More than – so, yeah, I don't know if it was a – a master stroke more or more so something they were forced to do because that's what Duke was playing. Basically. Um, that's it for questions. Uh, I think we should just finish up by bitching about the refs now. Yeah. Uh, they were getting tired. Of this. Getting tired of this crap, especially today. Like, just Are we deep enough in? I can swear now. Oh yeah. Go ahead. We're good. Yeah. They were fucking terrible. <laughs> terrible. I, I mean, mean, and not just like, listen, they would call stuff like, listen, you've got some stats on how Marcus is being officiated. That's total bullshit. But just watching the game and being like, okay, it looked like Kalkbrenner was pretty straight up there, but they called the foul because there was some incidental contact. And then mm-hmm. on the other end, anybody for Crane taking a shot within eight feet was just mauled by Watson or whoever. And they're like, nope, that's clean. We're like, what? what's happening here? Or that – complete nonsense offensive foul call on Balak where I don't even think he touched anyone. Like I, I literally don't think he touched him. Dude, I thought that was a travel forever. And then I realized later it was a foul. And now I can't, now I can't figure out why it was either. Like there's no contact on that place. So it's not a foul. And he doesn't literally no contact and he's dribbling the whole time. So it's not a travel. So I'm like, why would you blow a whistle there? I don't understand. What, I think what, what compels I think you? He saw, here's what I think. What here's what I think happened. I think he saw the arm motion because kind of Mitch because kind of an, an an exaggerated like arm movement as yeah. he goes through. Yeah. But he doesn't touch anybody. You can no. wave your arms as much as you fucking want if you don't touch anybody. Agreed. That's it was. I don't even know what to say about that. That one was brutal. That was brutal. And so I know like. Yeah, I know people were up in arms, but and like they won anyway, so it doesn't really matter. But this is a trend that they th- the Big East officials think teams are more physical than Creighton, and so they let those teams get away with murder. Yes, but it's like, listen, if you're going to let them get away with murder, you have to allow the incidental contact that Creighton does. You have to allow that to go too. 
This is not it's like, oh, you play super physical, so we're not going to call anything on you. But when Christian Bishop breathes on you while he's vertical on a shot trying to, you know, defend the rim, oh, that's a foul. What are we talking about? That's what I that's that's the thing that's making me a little bit like, all right, I get it. <laughs> it's like I see what's happening here. Is like you've got you've got like these plays where it's like, okay, foul on Creighton. And you're like, all right, I guess I could argue why by the letter of the law that's a foul on Creighton. But you can't let that same type of play go with more physicality on the other end of the floor. That's just BS. Exactly. That's my issue. Yeah, you Listen, gotta be. You gotta. If they're if calling ticky tack fouls if you, on yeah. everybody, like, right? If you're calling ticky tack fouls on everybody, that's an annoying way to watch a basketball game. But I get it. Whatever. Okay. But Providence, who famously just assaults people, <laughs> like they're a super like physical defensive team. Yeah, they make no bones like about it. They, they had to foul someone again with 20 seconds left in the game because they weren't in the bonus yet. Yeah, how with I, that, 20 seconds left in the game. How was Providence not in the bonus? Like I don't That's I don't what know. I'm saying. How does Providence ever get to a point in the in late in the game where they have played 19 and minutes yeah. and 39 seconds and they're yeah. not in the bonus? Right, where they have fouls to give. Like stop. That. Because just, of the way they play, that is impossible. Unless the ref shit the bed. Right, right. And especially when you realize that Creighton was already in the, like Providence was already in the bonus themselves because. For Creighton several a, minutes. They were yeah. in the double bonus. Yes. Yeah. Like what? Why? How does that, it doesn't make any sense at all. This Butler is. Because the ref shit the bed. That's the only answer. Yeah, agreed. Um, that was embarrassing. I tweeted at the Big East because I was so mad. <laughs> you did. So here's the Marcus. Here's here's some from the Marcus perspective that's driving me nuts. Um, you've got all the here, here's everybody that was basically on the preseason all league team, like all league honors, um, minus Dawson Garcia as the freshman of the year. Okay, and Dawson Garcia, if you want me to throw him in, I will. So I'm gonna guess he still gets more respect than Marcus Zagorowski. <laughs> yeah, he does. Okay, so Marcus Zagorowski is the preseason player of the year in the league, okay? He is at 6.3%, and that number is it's the percentage of possessions for that player that end with them going to the free throw line, okay? So it's not about drawing shooting fouls. It's not, it's not, it's not always about that. It's about drawing shooting fouls. It's also about having the ball in your hands when the other team is already in the bonus and they just hack you and you go to the line and shoot. You know, Marcus Zagorowski has a ton. Lots, right? Like almost and, exclusively. And also his three to twos ratio is let me go back to it real quick. His three to two ratio is um he's at 75 threes and uh 47 twos. So he should be shooting more than 22 freaking free throws. Like he just like come on. The disparity the is there. Season. Yes. He's averaging 2.2 free throws per game right now. Last year, as like, you know, even with Tyshawn on the floor, he averaged 2.6. Tyshawn averaged 4.4 free throw attempts per game last year. So Marcus is literally having, the in terms of attempts, he's half of what Tyshawn was. 
as as well, like, you as know, the, I'm as sure it's because I'm sure it's because that that it's strictly because Big East teams foul Marcus half as much. That's definitely <laughs> yeah, totally the reason. So anyway, here's the number. So this is again, this is percentage of of possessions that this player um, that it ends with this player going to the free throw line. Marcus Zagorowski is at six point three of the players who were uh, selected to the all preseason team. Uh, the only person lower, the only player lower than him is Mitch Ballack at 4%. But Mitch is, Mitch is different because he's a, strictly, yeah, he shoots threes all day. Sense. Like, yeah, he's not going to draw a lot of fouls. Um, so Charlie Moore is also at 6.3%. Bryce Aiken is at 9.1%. Justin Moore is at 10.6. DJ Carton is at 10.7. So that's a freaking newcomer to the league right there. Same with Bryce. Uh, Jeremiah Robinson Earls at 11.2. Scruggs is at 11.6. Gillespie 13.3. Duke 14.5. Bryce Enzi, who like isn't even a scorer at all, 15.8. Nate Watson 17.7. That makes sense as a big guy. Uh, yeah, Sandra Kalashvili 18.4%. Palmer Kalashvili, that makes sense. He's a go-to guy. James Booknight baller 20.4%. So, like, why is James Booknet at 20.4% and Marcus Zagorowski at 6.3? That doesn't compute with me, right? Yeah, Booknight and Gillespie are the ones that I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, compared to Marcus, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't like, have a problem with them going to the line that much. Right, I have exactly. a problem with them going to the line three times more often mm -hmm. than Marcus Zagorowski. That's the, yeah. what doesn't make any sense. Gillespie goes to the line three times, twice as much as Marcus, and Booknight goes Booknight to the line more than three. Both of them. Gillespie more than doubles him up. Booknight more than triples him up. Which doesn't make any sense. None. Especially Gillespie, because him and Gillespie are probably the most similar players. Yes. Like, yeah. their games are the closest. So they should have similar numbers. Correct. Yeah. It's blowing me away. Because they are missing obvious stuff. On the play where Mitch uh, traveled or fouled somebody that we just talked about, right? <laughs> like, yeah. on, that, on that play, Marcus got run over. Twice. Yeah. There was a lot of contact on that play. None by Mitch, even though he got the foul. Like, none literally by, none by Mitch. Literally none by Mitch. All of it, though, like Nate Watson on Marcus Zagorowski. And that was like, no, nothing there. Like, no, we cool. We're cool. Don't he, worry about he got, it. He got hip checked on a three against Xavier. Nothing. Like we can just hip check three point shooters now. Okay, that seems like a problem going forward. No one ever if gives him. A, if you're setting hand. a precedent that you can hip check Marcus Zagorowski on threes going forward, you're probably gonna get that kid in trouble a little bit from an injury standpoint. Because and teams like, teams will do that. And our buddy Jacob pointed this out. Jacob Padilla, the amount of times he is not allowed to land on his threes is offensive <laughs> seriously yeah no wonder they're pulling, frankly dangerous no wonder they were pulling from 30 tonight like today because that's yeah, they're like i'm just trying to get a three off without rolling an ankle fam yes <laughs> right if i have to shoot this from the logo just to get some you know a free landing area fine i'll do that hey so yeah that's that's my rant on the officiating because i mean as much as people don't want creating at the free throw line It'd be nice if they got there at some point in the game before. It's Occasionally. Like, yeah, before. You know, they like get the, there 20 times and you only make 60%. Like, that works out okay. Yeah. I mean, and plus, if you're shooting, you know, if you're first, like, if you're already six for eight at the free throw line, those last four or six that you have to win the game with, 
probably a little bit easier because you've already shot yeah, a When bunch. you're on the free throw line for the first time in the game with 18 <laughs> seconds left and the game's on the line, yeah, there's a little bit more nerves going on there. Right. You're like, when's the last time I shot one of these? How do I make this? Okay, I remember. You're like, oh, it was three hours ago in warm-ups. Yeah, okay. It was four, yeah, it was four days ago in practice. I got you. Okay. <laughs> like, God dang. I just don't, I just don't, I don't, I don't like it because he's a good player. Um and like he's, he's the, your preseason player of the year, he should yeah. get the superstar call. And even if it's not like the superstar call, just officiate that dude. He is you can't let them you can't let defenders just get away with crap on him. No, because what I mean, I just don't understand why you're why he's been officiated the way he has. And it's not it's probably not like a it's not a thing where they go in and say, okay, you know, Marcus is like this, so we have to give the defender the benefit of the doubt this much. Just call the fouls. Like he's getting, yeah. It's fine to let physical defense go, but if he's like, if he's beat the dude, and he gets a shot up, and that dude fouls him to prevent that shot from being clean, you have to call that. I mean, it's just yeah. I mean, that's a pretty you can't tell me Mar- you can't tell me Marcus isn't being aggressive enough to not average more than two point two free throws per game. That's just absolute silliness. I don't want. There's nothing on the film that translates. That re- reflects that opinion, so it's nonsense. Yeah, I agree. I uh, took a Xanax after the game, so that's all the outrage I can muster right now. <laughs> you did enough between that and Twitter. I think you landed some. Yeah, know, that was that was pre Xanax on Twitter. Okay, that was that's good. Well, I think that's a good way to wrap up. There, we got our rants in. We answered some questions. We talked some ball. Um, Quality pod, I think. Yeah, not bad for the first one of twenty twenty one. Um, That's right. After a good start. Yeah. So, uh, everybody, uh, whiteandbluereview.com. Um, we'll have this podcast up on iTunes, SoundCloud, on the website. We'll have write-ups, post-game write-ups up there too. Um, uh, Robbie, what's up for you next, man? What do you got going on, people? Um, we're gonna hear that well, beautiful. We're gonna hear that beautiful voice. I think we're doing some. Uh, I think we're doing some more shoot arounds as the game times get a little bit back to normal. Um, so we'll be on Blue Dish shoot around on 1620. Uh, we're moving. We'll have the Creighton Athletic Hour once a week, but I think they're moving it. So I'll let you keep out on, keep a lookout on Twitter for that, and I'll let you know what day that's on. Right now it's Wednesdays, but I think they're moving it because we have a bunch of Wednesday games coming up. Um, but yeah, you can hear me on 1620. Uh, usually multiple times a week because those people don't like to work i guess but um i'm just kidding i like it when they call me just giving them a hard time uh but yeah and then you can always find the podcast heavy lifting with robbie lula Mm -hmm. Um, my last one i believe was an nba preview that i put up like a week ago so how's that going so far good predictions and stuff i mean nothing's like crazy yet um i think i said who did i say I said Lakers, Clippers, number one, two in the West, which is pretty easy. Milwaukee's not playing awesome yet, so that's an issue. But uh, I said Brooklyn, if everybody gets along, their ceiling is the best team in the East, and that appears to be true right now. Yeah. But we'll see if they're getting along in 40 games. I mean, if everybody's getting along, they might have the highest ceiling in the league, honestly. I mean, close, yeah. I don't – I mean, do you take – Kyrie and KD over LeBron and AD, maybe. I always favor like legitimately ridiculous scores. So sure, yeah, 
Yeah, that's fair. Um, Schroeder's an interesting matchup for Kyrie, though. Mm-hmm. He's going to have somebody they can sort of throw on him and make his life a little harder. For sure. Um, but, yeah, it's I mean, it's definitely like a, a Brooklyn Lakers final would be, if everybody's healthy, phenomenally entertaining. I'd be all on board for that. Yeah, definitely. Um, all right, folks. Well, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for your questions. Uh, we really appreciated it always. Uh, we will talk to you next. I don't know if we, we will talk to you. I'll definitely talk to you. And then someone else will as well. But Ravi will be back later. At some um, point, I'm sure. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I don't know when they play next. I didn't look. When's the Seton Hall? Uh, Wednesday, I think Seton Hall. Okay, there you go. That's my bad for not checking the schedule. Thanks, Robbie. Appreciate you. All right, I'm on top of it. I didn't, I didn't preview this morning. Okay, good deal. Nice. <laughs> yeah, so we'll talk to you next after Seton Hall. Have a good uh, next few days, everybody. Sounds good.